My mother's from Denmark and my, my father uh, worked for JPL in Pasadena. My mother's father worked for Caltech at the same time and he worked on the first uh, Apollo mission and made the first hammer that went to the moon, which I always thought was a really cool little tidbit to tell my friends when I was growing up. I lived in Pasadena until I was seven years old. Uh, I had my first experience when I lived in that house, but I really didn't know anything about it until many years later when uh, I had read Whitley Strieber's book, Communion, in 1987. I remember going to the bookstore with my then one-year-old daughter and when I saw the cover of Communion, I almost dropped her because I felt like somebody had knocked the wind out of me. That was the first time, I think, to my knowledge, I could be wrong, that I've seen that particular face. I bought it straight away and I read it in a day. When I was remembering my earlier experiences after reading Communion, I remembered my experience when I was four years old. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because I really didn't have any memory of it at the time. So I couldn't really see anything except for the ceiling above me. I remember being carried to my bed by what I thought were small children underneath me and they were carrying me above their heads. I felt like there were six of them. One, you know, two at my shoulders, two at my hips and two at my feet. Like almost like, I know it's kind of morbid, but like pallbearers would carry a coffin. They tucked me in, pulled the covers up to my neck and I went to sleep. But in the morning when I woke up, I bolted out of bed and I went to my mother and I said, Mommy, Mommy, I need a Band-Aid. And she says, what are you talking about? And I said, Mommy, I need a Band-Aid for my belly button. And she couldn't understand what I was talking about. And, and she says, oh, honey, you must have just had a dream. And I said, no, Mommy. They told me that if I didn't put a Band-Aid on my belly button, that it would get infected. She rolled her eyes, okay, so she went to the bathroom, got the band-aid, gave it to me, I put it on my belly button, and that was it. That was the end of it, and I never talked about it again. I'm Jim Perry. This is Met, a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. This time... Visitations from another place, from another time. That's next on Euphemet. Thousands of people around the world identify as experiencers, those who have come into contact in various degrees to what some might call non-human intelligence, alien, extraterrestrial, ultra-dimensional, 
spiritual manifestations, it's unclear what this NHI that people experience really is and where it's from. For Suzanne, a lifelong experiencer, the most important thing is perhaps that whatever these experiences are, for whatever reason they are occurring, they are genuine and unprovoked, and they have left an indelible mark on her life and those around her. Maybe the reason for all of it is lost in time, lost in space. These visitors but interlopers into our mind, body, and heart. Or maybe, just maybe, they're here right now. Close, more related to us than we could ever imagine. After I read Communion, I felt like Whitley had written a book about me. I proceeded to write him an 11-page letter. He had opened all the doors that have been closed in my life up until that point. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. That happened to me too. That happened to me too. And I just was just in disbelief. I'm thinking, well, either we're both crazy or this is real. I felt like now I had to start writing. So I started writing. I started journaling down everything that I remembered because they were not dreams. All of my experiences, my childhood experiences, I chalked up to just my vivid imagination or I was having these wild dreams. I didn't really have anything to relate them to because nobody else was talking about them. I thought, well, maybe there was something wrong with me. Maybe I'm just weird. I don't want people to know that I'm weird, and so I'm just not going to talk about it. I continued to have just weird experiences. Like, I, I always thought that I had a brother. I remember asking my mother, I said, I, I, I thought I had a brother. And I said to my mother, I said, where's my brother? And she says, what are you talking about? And I said, my brother, did you give him up for adoption? And she says, what are you talking about? And again, thinking that maybe I had dreamed it. As I got a little bit older, like maybe she had had even an abortion or maybe she'd had a miscarriage or something that she just didn't want to tell me. But I always had this really strong feeling that I had a brother who was around my age. It was in 1969. We lived in Pasadena till I was seven, and then we moved about 40 minutes north of Pasadena. I clearly remember having more experiences there, but I thought they were dreams again. One of them, I, I remember I'm laying in my bed, and all of a sudden, um, the light was shining in through my shutters and against on the wall. I could see the slats, you know, on the wall. So I looked at my window and it, I panicked and I had this feeling like, oh my God, they're here. And so I ran and hid in the bathtub. And I remember laying in the bathtub thinking, why am I hiding? They're just going to find me. And then I blacked out. And the next thing I knew again, 
I was back in my bed and was having the covers pulled up to my neck. Again, when I would wake up in the morning, I would still think that that part was still part of the dream. But it was very strange that it kept happening over and over again. This whole ritual of, you know, the covers being pulled up to my neck. I started really thinking that there was something really strange about me. And one of them was, I was thinking that maybe they were angels. And so I got really into religion. Like, I'm like, okay, I need to find the answers to this. And so I know the angels are coming at night. And so I said, I need to go to church, (laughs) you know, and talk to God and ask him why these things are happening. But it was really weird because I went to one church, but it didn't feel like that was the right one. I didn't get my answers there. And so I went, that was a Presbyterian church. So then I thought, well, maybe I need to go to a Catholic church. So I went to the Catholic church and again, still no answers, you know. Six or seven different religions that I explored. And then I decided, you know what, I'm just going to read the Bible. And maybe I'll find the answers in there. So I read the Bible when I was nine. And uh, still nothing. Then I started going to the other side. Well, maybe it's witchcraft. So then I would go and I would check out as many books as I can on witchcraft. And then I started learning how to do spells. And then my best friend, I said, ooh, Kelly, check this out. Let's do these spells. And let's, you know, then we started going into like the dark side. We started doing these spells. Some of them were more about, um, as we were that age, like boys that we didn't like. <laughs> you know, like, like something just benign happened to them. Like maybe they'd get a bad grade or something, or, you know, or they'd smash their finger in a door. <laughs> then I went into the vampire route. I thought, well, maybe I was really into vampires too. And I thought, well, maybe they're vampires coming like thieves in the night. So I thought, you know what, I'll just leave my window open. And then they can come in and I can have a conversation with them and find out what the hell is going on. I remember, I mean, now in retrospect, I mean, the help is a horror. I mean, this little, you know, like trying to solve my own, you know, problems like a doctor to trying to, you know, diagnose myself the best way that I could because I couldn't talk to anybody about it. So that was really strange because many, many years later, when I did read Communion, I realized that he had also, uh, Whitley had written the book The Hunger, which was all about vampires. And I thought, I wonder if he was compelled, as I was as a child, you know, and, and started really finding out what vampires are about because I mean it just made perfect sense what else could they be when I was checking out like about witchcraft and stuff I checked out a book on electromagnetics and I'm not a science or math brain at all I'm an artist and a singer and I had no idea what it was even about but I just had this I just felt compelled to check this book out so I'm like, what was that about? That didn't have anything to do with uh, witchcraft or 
aliens or anything. Now, at the time, like I said, I didn't even know what the alien, you know, I think it was aliens. It didn't even come in my head. I loved science fiction. Don't get me wrong. And I, I remember babysitting for one of my neighbors. He was a huge sci-fi buff. So I read like, you know, Dune and the Martian Chronicles and, you know, uh, Andromeda Strain and all that when I was like 10 years old, you know. But, you know, there was nothing really about aliens per se, like what I'm talking about here in my life. One night, I was laying in bed. My fiancé is sleeping next to me. And I couldn't fall asleep. And I'm looking up at my ceiling, and there are all these swirling shapes on the ceiling, like lights, like prisms. And they're swirling around, and I'm like, well, that's really weird. I wonder where that's coming from. And I thought, well, maybe it was coming from the window. Like, maybe there was... I'm in the second story, so maybe... Um, a car was driving down the street and the light was refracting through something that was causing all these shapes on my ceiling. But the minute that I started to think about that, a gold disc flew in from my window and landed next to me, next to the bed on my left-hand side. But when I went to look at what it was, I realized that I was paralyzed. In my peripheral vision, I could see a woman with long blonde hair, and it seemed to me that she was naked. When all of a sudden, she started speaking to me telepathically. And what she said was, where I come from, marriage is the most sacred part of our existence, and I am giving you the chance to experience this if you wish. She had said, you know, where I come from. And I'm, you know, thinking, well, where does she come from? And that, you know, she says that she was giving me the opportunity to experience this if I wish. And I'm thinking, well, did she want me to come with her somewhere? Like physically come with her, like take her by the hand and go into the craft and go to you know, Alpha Centauri, whatever. You know, or was she saying it more like giving me the opportunity to experience this in my own life. Like she was going to, I don't know, cast a spell on me or, or just, you know, rave some, a magic wand and I was going to have like the perfect marriage or what have you. In, in my takeaway from what she had said was that, um, you know, she was saying that marriage was sacred and it was the most sacred part of their existence. So maybe she was saying, you know, inadvertently saying, we as humans don't take it seriously enough. So I thought then maybe she was just trying to impress that on me that I should really take this more seriously. And I'm just so caught up in like what's going on that I didn't even it didn't even register. And all I could think was, I am so glad you don't look like what you really look like because if you did, I think I would freak out 
And she said, if you want to know what I look like, look at the window. But I just turned my eyes to my window and I could see a huge praying mantis hanging from my windowsill. And again, I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. I was just frozen and paralyzed. And that's when my doorknob started to rattle in my bedroom. She looked at the doorknob and she ran across the room and vanished right through the bathroom wall, into the bathroom. The door flew open and in flew in these three blue beings. I couldn't scream. But I was trying, I was screaming inside, but they were illuminated from within. They had little round black cobalt eyes and they were standing at the foot of my bed saying to me, it's Elise, my daughter. We can't get her to stop throwing up. And the minute I heard that, I had this fight or flight feeling. Like all of a sudden I had that strength to get up out of my bed and move and I bolted out of my bed I don't know what happened to them, but I ran down the hallway and when I went into her bedroom, she's crying. And she says, mommy, mommy, I'm gonna, and she just starts vomiting all over the bed. Now this entire time, my fiance was asleep, but now he was awake because I, I don't know, all of a sudden he heard her crying or what, but. So I picked her up and he turned on the bathtub and I put her in the bathtub and He washed her hair, and I went and got some other sheets for her bed and dried her off, put her in bed, and I laid with her until she fell asleep. And the next morning, my daughter's sitting at the table, and she was totally fine. She wasn't sick anymore or anything. And I just went over, and I brought her cereal and got her some juice, and she was drawing a picture. And I'm looking at the picture, and I said, oh, honey, that's really cute. What is it? And she said, oh, it's the animal from my dream last night. And I said, oh, and I'm looking at it. And I just got this really sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. Because what she drew was this round head with little round black eyes. There was a line right here on its neck. There were two lines where the ears were. And there was this little squiggly thing over its head. I said, well, what are these little squiggly lines right here where the ears are? She goes, oh, well, that's where their ears should be, but they didn't have any ears. And I said, oh, okay. I said, well, what's this little squiggly thing over its head? And she says, oh, it's a cloud, mommy. They come from the clouds. And now I'm thinking, oh, my God. And I'm trying not to freak out and panic, but I am absolutely that at that moment but I could not show her that because I didn't want her to be afraid because I knew what was going on now I tried to gather myself together and I said well what were they doing honey you know with a nice lilty voice (laughs) and she says oh they were smelling me and they were telling me that they loved me which is a common theme with um small children when they are being examined or what have you 
being shown unconditional love to make them feel safe and, and, you know, not afraid of anything that's happening. And so to me, this was another warning sign that this was not a good thing. And I said, oh, well, what did it look like? And she says, oh, well, mommy, there were three of them and they were blue. I just was like, thank you, honey. And I went in the other room and I basically was biting my hand, you know, just in sheer terror. I I was angry because I, I wanted to shout at the sky and just say, hey, listen, take me, but leave my family alone. But I knew that it was beyond my control. So there's, you know, you just, it's a, it's a horrible, horrible feeling that you just cannot live a normal life. You'll never live a normal life. My fiance, we never talked about it again. Um, as my daughter got older, I never brought it up. I never had any literature in the house. I never wanted to prompt her because I, I knew that, you know, it would have to be organic like it was with me. And I thought that would be the best way. And I didn't talk about it until I started talking about my experiences in 2011. And I told her that I was going to be sharing my experiences and possibly this one that included her. And I said, I've never asked her, but I said, do you remember anything? And she flat out said, Mommy, I don't want to talk about it. I don't believe in it. And I don't remember anything. Suzanne looks inside to figure out whatever the hell is going on on the outside. It's a strange situation to be forced to confront your own humanity within a more cosmic landscape. One that feels seemingly uncaring, yet still holds you close with the most tender of gestures. When you're an experiencer and you're in a relationship with somebody who's not an experiencer, you almost have a secret life. Even though you, you know, are, are being as honest as you can about it, they don't understand and can't relate to the situation. So in a, in a way, it's almost like you feel like you're not being truthful or honest or something, even though you are. But it's just when you retreat into yourself and you don't aren't feeling the ability to divulge all this really personal information because they will never understand or embrace it or, or say, hey, I'm sorry, can I help you? Anything like that. Instead, they usually, in my case, he would just turn around and walk away and, and wouldn't want to talk about it. I think I retreated and and maybe I'm a lot to blame. You know, I, I I would have to say I kind of just went back into myself and just kept all my feelings to myself. And it just kind of drove a wedge in between our, our us and our communication with other things. When I think about when she's saying marriage is the most sacred part of their existence and, and 
maybe if I went and delved into that statement in itself, um, you would think that the perfect marriage would include 100% acceptance and communication uh, unconditionally. It's hard. I, I think that after we separated, it was really difficult because I wanted to be in a relationship that was perfect, and we all do. But I ended up compromising a lot of myself for my own happiness because being an experiencer can um, be a very lonely existence. And although you feel whole, quote-unquote whole, in a relationship, there's still that peace missing when you're not in, in a relationship with an experiencer. And, and after I did break up with my boyfriend before I met my current fiancé, um, we, we were in a really bad place. I mean, a really bad place. And I remember breaking down and totally surrendering in the backyard one day, crying, and I got on my knees, and I looked up at the stars, and I was bawling, and I audibly, out loud, asked the universe to please provide me with help. And my go-to constellation is Orion, which I think a lot of people can identify with, but I saw Orion. I was so grateful to be able to visually have this connection during this moment of despair. I said, please, please, when you send me somebody next time, please make them be an experiencer. And please make them be a parent that has a father or that has children and somebody who I can identify with that have, I have a lot in common with that will understand me for who I am, a mother and an experiencer, and that's exactly who I met when I met Jack. I got an email from Whitley Strieber, and he said, I started a, a blog, and he read my blog and asked me to be a guest on his Dreamland show on Unknown Country. I was completely floored and flabbergasted because now everything had come full circle. My, I don't want to say my hero, but at the time he kind of was, wanted to interview me about my experiences. So I was super excited about that. And after the interview, I ended up getting flooded by, you know, people who were experiencers wanting to connect with me. So many emails, you know, Facebook friend requests, and it was just mind-blowing. I just, it was like overwhelming. I could not believe how many people there were out there. And I was just, it's like, you better be careful what you ask for kind of a moment, you know? <laughs> I thought, wow, this is really amazing. And I remember one day I started writing a book I decided at that point that I was going to write my own book. At the time I was living in Hollywood, California, I'm living with my ex-boyfriend. We had broken up, but we were still living together. And I was sitting on the couch and I'm writing, and all of a sudden I got a direct message from, I don't know who it was, um, I had been doing a lot of meditating, so I don't know if it was my higher self or it was my spirit guides or what. The message was that I needed to close my computer, go into the bedroom, sit on the floor, face the armoire, 
and meditate for 15 minutes. And I laughed. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty direct. That's <laughs> like, all right. So I go into the bedroom and I sit on the floor and I'm facing the Omar and I'm meditating and nothing, I'm getting nothing. I thought for sure I would get some sort of a, a message for me. And I got nothing. And I was angry <laughs> because I was in a flow with my writing. And I was like, gosh darn it. And so I got up and I went back into the room and I opened my computer. I'm like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to go on Facebook. So I went on Facebook and right when I did that, I got this ping in the chat box. But I'm looking at the little tiny thumbnail profile pic. And I'm like, I know that guy. So I'm like, hi, you know, and I'm thinking, I don't know, but he looks really familiar. So I clicked on his profile. And as we're chatting in the chat box, I'm chatting, I'm scrolling through his photographs to see if I recognized him. And I didn't. And then I realized that um, we didn't really have any mutual friends either. And that he lived in Rhode Island. And I'm like, oh, this is very weird. He says, oh, I listened to your, uh, your interview with Whitley and, you know, I'm an experiencer. And uh, it was really, actually he said contactee back then. <laughs> and so we had so many similarities and I don't know, I just thought, oh, this is really weird. Like, I know that I recognize him. So as I kept st scrolling through the photographs, I came across this one picture of this beautiful Asian woman holding a small child. And it was like I was frozen staring at her and she's staring right at me and I could not look away and I was like oh my gosh and I said I typed who is this beautiful woman holding this child I said is that your wife and he said yes and I said she's no longer with us is she and he said no she's not I said I have a message for you I had never, I'm going to say, read a photograph, but that's what I feel like I was doing. I was connecting to her through this photograph. And she says to me, please tell him that I love him and that I miss him and that I'm all around him all the time. And so I told him that. And I said, you know you're going to see her again someday. And he says, oh, I know, I know. He says, thank you so much for telling me this, because today would have been her 50th birthday, and I've been thinking about her all day. And I said, oh my gosh, are you serious? It was July 7th, 2012. I said, that's really weird, because today's my best friend's 50th birthday, and it's also my wedding anniversary from a previous marriage. He's like, oh my gosh, that's so weird. And, and I said, oh, I'm 50 also. And he says, oh, really? So am I. I said, really? Oh, that's really weird. We have all these weird synchronicities, right? You know, and I said, oh, just for shits and giggles, when's your birthday? And he says, um, March 26, 1962, which is my exact birthday. And we're both like, what the fuck is going on? You're kidding me, right? He, I said, you're joking. And so we just realized that this is true. We're not lying. And we were both born on the same exact day, nine hours apart. 
across the country. Then we thought, okay, this is weird. We need to start just... So then we started Skyping and chatting and realizing we had all these synchronicities. It was just too bizarre. And he started sharing his experiences with me. And it also turned out that he, you know, working for UPS and, you know, when his wife passed away, it was like a, a really hard time for him, as you can imagine. And he had gone to this therapist. And when he had gone to the office, there was a... Um, a little flyer for learning how to do Reiki. So he actually became a Reiki master. And he's amazing. I mean, I, he says, yeah, what Teamsters are Reiki master, you know, because out here in, you know, New England is a totally different vibe. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to be speaking publicly for the first time in September in Maine at Experience or Speak. And he says, well, you know, I'm going to come and meet you. And I said, okay. So we, through those few months until, um, started an online relationship. And um, by the time I was to speak in, um, in Maine, he had asked me if I would consider moving here with him. And uh, basically the rest is history. It's crazy. I mean, just to think like, so, you know, knowing what we know about um, our incarnation here on this earth, we both feel that we have a, a soul contract to reconnect here in this incarnation. And it, it, to me, makes sense of the brother that I never had, that I always thought about when I was a child, because we think that we're, I call him my cosmic twin that we came here at the same time and vowed to meet up again the way that we have through the experience. Just knowing that there's more than this, I don't think that I would have thought that way if it weren't for the experience. And I, I feel blessed that I have been given the opportunity to um, be open and accept it and accept my experience and and embracing it instead of treating it as a detriment. Being able to um, have a point of view that I do in looking at the experience as a positive one has allowed me to um, not live in fear and to um, know that there, you know, all of this, this incarnation is finite. It's not the end of my existence. Yes. And, and, and to have the support um, of my partner. And we're now, get, actually, we're getting married in May. So it's just like, yeah. Wow, I'm so, so grateful for, for his connection. Thank you for listening to this edition of Euphemet. This feature was edited and scored by John McEdward. Thank you to Suzanne for her story. Suzanne is a listener of Euphemet, and you can have your story featured too. Reach out at jim at euphemet.com. Thank you, of course, to our sponsors, AMC Network's Shudder and BetterHelp. For everything Euphemet, including how you can subscribe to the show, links to our Patreon and social media, 
visit euphemet.com. And for even more, check out Night Drift. It's our weekly radio broadcast discussing Euphemet and hosting panels on topics at the intersection of society and strange. Sundays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern at nightdrift.com. This has been Euphemet, and I'm Jim Perry. And until next time, keep looking up.